Uh, what comes to your mind? Yeah? Okay. Okay, what he wants for us and what he plans for us, okay? Anyone else? Yeah? Okay, God's all-powerful plan. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Those are great answers. Um, you know, one, that is one of the most fascinating truths in all the Bible is, is God's will. And when I say fascinating, I don't mean, you know, it's something that's new or it's a novelty or um, something that's a fad or just something that's simply entertaining. Um, the fact that that God's will is fascinating means that I, I don't completely understand it. Right? I don't understand the doctrine to its fullest extent. Um, some of your answers uh, gave way to, you know, you might not even know all of the extent of God's will either. Um, and, and that may sound strange, right? We love to have the knowledge of something. We love to know all the intricacies of everything and how everything works and and the details, and it helps us, right? Especially as believers, um, knowledge helps ground or, or cement future convictions. Um, but did you know that God does reveal His His will to us? And at the same time, He also withholds His will, um, or He conceals it. That would be known as His secret will. Uh, Deuteronomy 29.29 provides that answer to, to this one truth. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, so that we may observe all the words of this law. So what do you think about God revealing some things to us and concealing other information? Does that, would that bother you? Um, does that bother you that you might not be in the who's who's club as far as what's to come. It's hard. I, I get that part, right? Uh, you know, just the other day, Sarah um, disclosed that there would be a potential surprise. And then I asked her, what would that surprise be? And she said, I, I can't tell you. And so, you know, it was within her rights to tell me there was going to be a surprise. And it's within her rights to tell me that there's not. But uh, there was part of me that, that, that still wants to know what that surprise is, and I, and I don't know when it's coming, actually. It was supposed to be at the end of the semester, so maybe I have to wait till next semester to find out, but uh, either way, <laughs> right? But I think that's a good test to, to see if, if, uh, if, uh, how you do when, when you might not know something to its fullest extent, right? Or let's say you're in a conversation or coming up to a conversation, you hear somebody talking, and they don't let you in the circle, and then they maybe like change the subject or, or you don't get to fully hear it and, and, uh, and they don't bring you along in. And um, <laughs> Well, it is fascinating, right, thinking about God's will. And, and biblical humility adores this doctrine, right? A humble heart joyfully rests in God's sovereign and purposeful will. A heart of humility recognizes a few things, right? First, a humility responds in obedience no matter the result, right? Humility responds in obedience. That's the reacting to God's revealed will no matter the result, and that's being submissive to God's secret will. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, work out your salvation. That would be the revealed will, right? What do you want you to do? For it is God who is at work in you both to His will and to work for his good pleasure. That would be the secret will, right? How it's going to turn out. Humility also crucifies the flesh because God cares, right? Humility crucifies the flesh. That's obeying God's revealed will, how he wants to, you to live in your life. And that's uh, humility crucifies the flesh because God cares, right? That's, that's caring because you, you, you love the thought of God's secret will or, or what he has in store for you. 1 Peter 5, <clears throat> 6 through 7 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, 
casting all your anxieties on you because he cares for you. Well, what if that doesn't fascinate you? What if God's will doesn't fascinate you? What if it is just a nuisance, right? Like may, maybe like the news, you know, he mainly withholds all the positive and uplifting uh, information. You know, he relays only the bad news and then he peppers it with some sports highlights, you know, something, something interesting. However, for, for the believer, God's revealed and secret will is a glorious truth. And at the same time, there is a subtle danger burrowed deep within the Christian heart, right? This danger is arrogance. The Lord miraculously saves you. He places you within a body. He graciously gifts you so that you can serve others and glorify Him. He accentuates your already natural abilities. He provides the grace for obedience. And suddenly, self-confidence just arises from the depth of your heart. And this is widespread across humanity, but particularly noticeable among your age group, and, and I would include myself as well. All right, think about it. Your mind is sharp, and it's growing right now. You're learning how to articulate things. You're learning how to reason. Your minds are like sponges, right? You're daily receiving information. You're retaining it and then using that information at, at an incredible rate. And the potential for further intellectual growth is amazing, right? And you're actually not the strongest of your life yet. In this stage of life, your muscles are still growing. You're still going to increase in speed and agility. And you will recover from labor and sickness at a faster rate than you ever will in your life, probably. And you might not be out of your parents' house right now, but you're having increasing responsibilities, right? That's a great thing. Some of you are driving. Some of you work and have great responsibilities. Most of you start and finish school at, at your pace. And you can stay up later than all of your siblings, probably, right? <laughs> so think about this. You're not even in your prime yet. And you are wonderfully created and have been given tremendous abilities. And unless the Lord brings both physical and mental disability to you tomorrow, the Lord will give you more strength and, more, and an increased understanding for contributing to society, to serve your church, and to raise a family. Yet the tendency is to not to stop and think about this. Rather, your age is prone towards ingratitude, self-confidence, entitlement, pride, and the illusion that young age is going to last forever. I know that's how I thought, and, and I still see it in my own life. And the typical course for someone your age is to jump into the current of ignoring or not considering God's will. In other words, it's difficult to find somebody your age submitting their will to the Lord's will with every detail of your life. Is this you? How would you know? So please turn in your Bibles to James 4. <laughs> James 4, and we'll begin in verse 13. Here, James is going to warn us of three marks of arrogance towards God's will. We're going to see three marks of arrogance towards God's will. First, we'll see in verses 13 through 15, you make groundless presumptions. In verse 16, you glory in self-worship. In verse 17, you neglect responsibilities. And, and I'll go over this again as, as we go through, so if you didn't catch all of that. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> so beginning in verse 13, James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And the first area of arrogance towards God's will is making groundless presumptions. You make groundless presumptions. And James is going to flesh out exactly how these believers are making the groundless presumptions. Uh, in verse 13, he's going to detail what they say. In verse, verse 14, he's going to detail what they don't know. And in verse 15, he's going to mention who they fail to mention. And again, that's all under them making these groundless presumptions. Again, the first mark of someone making groundless presumptions is noted by what he or she says. And James begins with, Come now! As a concerned pastor, James begins his counseling session a little bit different than what's typical in his book of saying, My brother, right? This is similar to a father uh, kind of grabbing you and, and urgently saying, Come on, uh, listen up. Notice what has gotten a hold of his attention. Verse 14. <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 13. Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. And we will spend a year there, and we will engage in business, and we will make a profit. James doesn't provide the details to the social uh, class of these Christians, um, but without a doubt, he addresses the Christians here with, with detailed plans in their heads. Uh, these believers were most likely itinerant uh, merchants. As one author says, uh, they were industrious. They were ambitious. They were small businessmen who were constantly alert and eager to move to areas where business was most profitable, right? Living in the first century, these Jews were just living in a, in a growing Roman empire. Everything was growing and there was plenty of opportunity for uh, business and, and growth. Um, and that's, that's similar to you guys, right? Phoenix is growing. Um, and, and again, your, your potential and, and, uh, your ability to, for what you're going to be able to do um, is, is, is uh, unthinkable right now. <laughs> um, and so just like these first century believers, right, um, you have a, a potential. Um, <clears throat> so here in verse 13, though, James marks out these believers by noting their calculated and detailed planning. Uh, again, notice what they say. They say, uh, today or, or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. Uh, for these merchants, today or tomorrow really seems to be the only flexible criteria in their plans. They choose a city, and for them, uh, any city will do. It doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter the population. Uh, is there an established local church? It doesn't matter to them. They determine their next travel location. They also choose a time limit for their stay. They said, and we will spend a year there. And finally, these believers choose their salary, and we will make a profit. In short, James is, is pretty much baffled by these first century believers who have laser-focused planning. Now, to be clear, right, James is not admonishing these sheep for hard work. Right? He's not decrying their desires for a job or, or for a larger income. Traveling, moving to a new city, 
deciding between jobs, choosing colleges in the future, changing life goals, um, desiring an income in order to support a family, studying abroad, looking forward to maybe having a family someday, looking forward to a family uh, vacation, seeking good grades. Um, none of these are sinful in and of themselves. But here, James calls attention their confident, almost omniscient-esque presumptions made by these believers. Um, when I say presumption, is everybody on track what I mean by that? Who could kind of give a, a, an understanding or a definition of presumption? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Um, think about like state. You're you're stating a belief or a fact that's kind of based on reasonable evidence. Um, you know, uh, you in the morning. I, I presume that that my wife will will have a, a lunch ready for me. Um, you know, in the refrigerator before I leave for work because based on past uh, times there has been right. If if the lunch is not there, I can also presume uh, based on historical facts that maybe she was busy or she didn't have the time, right? And that's not an absurd, right? I'm not saying tomorrow Sarah is, is going to give me red lobster for lunch. You know, no, that's, that's unlikely. If it happens, <laughs> that'd actually be kind of cool, but, uh, <laughs> but that's not what I'm going to presume, right? Um, so what are some presumptions that your age might believe? Okay, yeah. Oh. Okay, yeah, yeah. So short-term presumptions and long-term presumptions, you know, you've, you've put in the, right, if you're making Fs, you know, you're not going to presume I'm getting into Harvard next year, just without a doubt. No, you're going to say I'm going to go to the local community college. That's probably the... The, or repeat my high school senior year. Um, what else, guys? Or maybe any leaders who remembered back in the day. Uh, time to get serious later. Okay. Yeah. Time to get serious later. Yeah, yeah these... A lot of these, right, these presumptions do base it off of, of what, right, kind of like what we talked about earlier, <clears throat> right? There's, there's an ability there that you see. There's intellect. Um, there's, there's strength, um, right? You, you, you want to train for a marathon, you, you know, you, or you want to run cross-country at the college, um, and, and you're getting a scholarship. Um, you're going to presume that, that, that scholarship's going to be there because you've put in the time and, and, right, and, and you're understanding that, that, that your abilities have led towards achieving that, right? Um, however, here, <clears throat> groundless presumptions feed off of self-confidence. In other words, when I make confident assertions concerning my future, right, when we're speaking about an arrogant approach to God's will, when I make confident assertions concerning my future, I, I examine my potential, I then assume autonomy, and consequently, I presume fulfillment, success, and favorable outcomes. Right? Self-confidence leaves no room for failure, change of plans, persecution, criticism, mediocrity, and even zero recognition. Far worse, James begins to signal the implications of their arrogance, namely, do you not consider the God of this universe? And in order to make certain at the audacity of these presumptions, James continues by stating what they do not know. Verse 14, they do not know the certainty of life, yet you do not know 
what your life will be like tomorrow. And, and these are the same people in verse 13. Literally, it should read, Come now, you who say, and then the quote in verse 14, you who do not know what life will be like. So he's talking to the same people. And even some of your translations read with a rhetorical question, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Right? The text begins to unravel kind of how ridiculous our presumptions can be in a life that does not take into account God. Student, you, I know you know this, but you are not omniscient and you are not omnipotent. You do not have the knowledge, nor will you acquire the necessary or sufficient information to know even tomorrow's events, and yet we do thir verses 13 and 14, right? I'll say, you know, I'm going to this school, or I'm going to get these grades. I will go on this vacation. I will be best friends with this person forever. I will get married by this age. I will work for these, this company because I have these skills, abilities, and I have the certifications to go along with it. I'm going to give this presentation and they're all going to adore me. I'm going to receive these Christmas presents and birthday gifts. We make groundless presumptions that defy or completely ignore the sovereignty of God, namely his power, like you said, and his authority to work all things according to his will and to his purpose. James furthers his arguments, his argument in verse 14, in the middle, he grounds his assertion. The ESV has this rightly translated. It says, for or because you are just a vapor. It's interesting how he doesn't say your life is just vapor. He, he narrows it on, on the individual. He says, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So he stated the problem, namely that these believers make confident presumptions that have zero weight. These presumptions are predicated on unknown circumstances and outcomes, but the theological reason why these confident presumptions carry featherweight significance is due to the brevity of our life. Again, it says, for you are just a, a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Without any apologies, James says, hey, you're momentary. You are a vapor, a smoky vapor, a steam that rises from the pot. It's getting colder, but I don't know if yet you can see your, your breath in the morning. If you've been up north, I'm sure the moment you step out of your car, you can see your breath, right? Or, or who here drinks coffee or has somebody in their family that drinks coffee? Yeah, so I'm sure you've, you've seen the, uh, unless, I think Isaiah, you only drink the cold drinks, so that might not work. Um, but if you drink hot drinks, <laughs> if you drink hot drinks, you will see the steam rising off. And, or if you're, you're watching uh, your mom uh, make spaghetti, um, or your wife, um, um, you'll see the steam and, and try to count the seconds of that vapor, of that steam. You won't count for very long. Um, as one commentary stated, uh, our life, like the coffee steam that, that rises, um, it's transitory and it's insecure in character. Temporary, fleeting, and insignificant in regards to making an eternal impact are some of the ways that, that the, the rest of Scripture describes man's days. Listen to the psalmist. He says, My days are like a lengthened shadow. It's good for tall people, I guess. Uh, but as for me, I wither away like grass. And Job, who might have been one of the first books written in the Bible, he says, he reminds himself, he says, Remember that my life is but a breath. When a cloud vanishes, it is gone, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. For the arrogant man who foolishly flees from the presence of God and, and his will, 
he deceives himself in regards to the security of life. He believes in his own hype. Success in different pockets of life protect any true sense of insufficiencies. Whether succeeding in sports, scoring excellent in grades, meeting deadlines, maybe you're born with with certain physical features or inherent qualities that, that set you apart and appeal to others, the experience of success can lead to an excessive arrogance. And the arrogant man opens the floodgates within his heart, usurping God off of his throne, and immediately attempts sovereign rule over his life and the life of others. If left unmortified, a self-confident man or woman makes groundless presumptions. The text also implies an attitude of entitlement. These believers, without the acquisition of all the facts necessary for precise and perfect outcomes, make bold predictions. So a good question to ask yourself is, why? Why would I make these groundless presumptions. Well, entitlement forces the thought of God's active role in your life and replaces it with self-satisfaction. In other words, God owes me because of who I am and what I've done. Because I've done such and such, I deserve such and such. I have these abilities, I have these skills, I know these people I've served in those areas, and I've donated this amount of money, and I've been kind to those people. So think of it like this. Unmortified entitlement grounds future success and outcomes on my abilities. Arrogance in the form of entitlement likewise forecasts future and fixed expectations. Like the living arrangements, and job opportunities for these first century believers, you and I have goals and desires and expectations, but an entitled heart holds on to these with a closed and tight fist, right? We cement our plans in our heart like a, like a new building project, and it's incredible, right? We either play out the scenario in our head to its fullest extent, including how we're going to receive uh, reward and praise, or our actions later reveal our personal demigod assessment of the results. Usually, everyone around us is the recipient of our displeasure in that unfulfilled expectation. And that's the issue, right? Entitlement and self-confidence have unbiblical standards and expectations attached to that event. The expectation then has a pace or timetable by which all participants must succeed. So instead of saying today or tomorrow, and, and we're going to spend a year there here, our entitled actions indicate what we really said in that moment, right? You need to be ready at this time because we're leaving to go to church at this time. Such and such must be done at this hour, right? Or mom and dad better do this. Or friend X ought to respond to me in this way. Here's a, a good way. Here's some good questions to diagnose whether or not you make groundless presumptions. When things don't go according to my plan, how do I respond in that situation? Do I get bitter? Do I start critiquing every moment that I couldn't control? When my expectations fail, right, how do I respond to the people around me? Again, do I get bitter? Do I get angry? Do my sentences suddenly become shorter? Do the noises in my nose suddenly become longer? And I just kind of flabbergasted over 
them not doing what you wanted. What about when I start thinking about a future event or plan? Does my mind drift towards personal gain, personal advancement, self-glory? Does my mind go there? These believers indeed did not know what their life consisted of beyond that moment, let alone the next day. But, but do you know who does? Verse 15. This is, this is so good. Instead, right, this is what they ought to, who they ought to acknowledge. Verse 15, James says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. An arrogant man raises his fist at the divine will of God. He lacks the indebtedness to submit his heart. He turns his head from the author of life. He drowns out the omniscient and omnipotent lot cast by the Lord. But the true believer, right, has no other option, right? This is a, a great truth. Daily submission requires his will to come under the yoke of his master and receive any and all that comes his way. And he loves it. For the true believer, a humble and dependent, desperate heart is a mindset, right? It's a mindset that relinquishes or casts away all contingencies to the sovereign and wise God of the universe. The humble believer is sensitive to his weaknesses. Although he may be so strong, he understands he has weaknesses. Right? He's sensitive to his self-serving tendencies. He's sensitive to the hopelessness, neediness as he crucifies his own will in order to stand as close as he can to the cross. There is his Savior, and there is his Lord, right? the sovereign one over all of life. <clears throat> Notice again in verse 15, first, the open-handedness of the response. If, right, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. There are no strings attached within the humble heart. Right? He's not holding on to relationships and a future career, friendships, uh, a future family, financial status, uh, with a semi-closed fist saying, okay, God, all right, if you will, uh, but also if I, if, I, you know, if I do my part, and you know, which I will because I have uh, the character and I have the abilities, and so uh, j just watch me go. Just let me out of the gates, right? Second, the subject is the Lord. Notice again, if the Lord wills, without a doubt as to the supreme providence orchestrating every moment of time, a true believer just soaks in the fact that the Lord is the main character of life. You know, back in verse 13, probably due to just redundancy and stylistic flow, these translations do not add the subject, but you can inherently see that that the we will continues, and right, it says today or tomorrow in verse 13, we will go to such and such a city, and, and the subject is still we, so, and we will spend a year there, right? We will engage in business, and we will make a profit. Um, but here, in, back in verse 15, the, the subject, the main character of this humble believer is the Lord. Third, rather than an arrogance towards God's will that makes groundless presumptions, 
A humble believer boldly acknowledges God's purposeful and active involvement with all of His creation. And according to James 14, God decrees the days of our lives and our life successes and failures. Again, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Students, the, the Bible gives zero evidence for you to not prostrate your soul in complete submission. The scriptures testify that God is good and that He does good. Student, you have no reason to not humble yourselves to whatever God places in your life. How do you do this? A dependent humble mindset strives for a big God theology, right? A big God theology. A big God theology does not flinch when failure, unmet expectations, and difficulties meet him. Why? Because the Bible is soaking and marinating in this humble heart, right? A big God theology searches the scriptures, he studies, he asks the questions. He confesses and repents when the scriptures reveal those crooked walls in your heart. <coughs> and why? Because, sorry. <coughs> because the scriptures, they testify, right? They bear witness and they do this without an apology as to declaring the sovereignty of God. He did not create the heaven and the earth and then step back and then watch it just go along. No, for us to make such grotesque presumptions underscores our self-confidence and our entitlement. James warns us against this arrogance against God's will. And this pastor, like any of our pastors, would, would likewise come up to you and say, hey, come on, listen up, come on. What are you, why are you saying those things? Why are you not believing what the scriptures clearly teach? Your choices, your mindsets, your presumptions, these are just the outer fringes, student. That's what your pastor would say. He would lovingly grab you and say, come on. And these presumptions left unmortified do not just slow down. Arrogance towards God's will travels within the same carpool lane of glorying and self-worship. And the second area in which James warns us against arrogance towards God's will is that we glory in self-worship. Notice verse 16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. How would you define boasting? <laughs> okay, nice. Exalting yourself, talking about your own achievements. What else, guys? Okay, being prideful, yeah, yeah. Bragging. Bragging, okay, good, good. Yeah, so boasting just like that, right, is that which constitute, right, a source of pride, and, and there's an objective or there's a reason for boasting. And it's interesting, secular Greek writers at the time actually avoided this term. Here, here's what one uh, writer said. If there are occasions for the expressions of legitimate pride, to Greek sensibility, too loud a trumpeting of one's own renown is a violation of respect or reverence or modesty. All right, you could say boasting is, is giving praise or, or glory to someone or something else. Listen to this first century Jew who was an unbeliever. 
He says, self-glorifying is regarded as a major evil. He's not commentating on on the book of James either. The true sin of self-glorifying is man's failure to acknowledge God as the author and Lord of all being and giver of all good things. In it, we see man's desire to be as God. The righteous man avoids such boasting. He seeks to serve God alone, for he knows himself, his weaknesses, and he realizes that he is dust and ashes, end quote. That's exactly what, what James says, right? But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Within the heart of this man is active arrogance fueled by a love of self. He is an idolater of self. He bows down to his knowledge. He sits at the throne of his strength. He daily communes and engages with the foresight of security, and he crucifies holiness. And as the world and his flesh feed his lusts, he worships at the mount of wickedness. If you can, turn to Isaiah 47. <coughs> 47, verse, verse 5. Here, the Lord is giving a prophecy about a future judgment on Babylon. But what's so interesting is, is scattered throughout Isaiah and Jeremiah, and you can write down Isaiah thir- 13 if you want. But in Isaiah 13, you're going to see the Lord predict Babylon's rise as a mighty nation in order to judge Israel. So the Lord raises up a nation in order to judge Israel his chosen people, fast forward to chapter 47. Now look at the judgment against Babylon. (laughs) Verse 5. Sit silently and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. Another name for Babylon. For you will no longer be called the queen of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage and gave them into your hand. What did you do with them? You did not show mercy to them. On the aged, you made your yoke very heavy. What were they saying? What what were they saying just like first century Christians? Yet you said, I will be queen forever. These things you did not consider nor remember the outcome of them. Now then, hear this, you sensual one who dwells securely, who says in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I will not sit as a widow, nor no loss of children. But these two things will come on you suddenly in one day, loss of children and widowhood. They will come on you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries, in spite of the great power of your spells. You felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. For you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Right? Again, who was the one who raised up Babylon? God. Who gave them the strength? God who gave them the understanding and, and the miraculous intelligence of that time period. God, right? And look what, look what they did, right? Here, God is the master spiritual MRI machine, right? Babylon failed and tested positive for utter wickedness. Their prescription, eternal judgment for failing to recognize the true I am and submit their wills to his will. One question, sorry, you can turn back to James if you want. <coughs> One question that, that would bother me, then I hope you're thinking that, is why do I not praise God alone and give Him the proper praise and glory? And here's some reason I was, I was thinking about personally. 
God is not giving me what I want and at the time that I want it. The world and what it offers is simply more attractive. Besetting sins may be getting in the way. I believe my own heart instead of God's word, right? I believe, I, I believe the, the lies. I, I am self-sufficient. I am self-confident. I am autonomous. I am independent. <coughs> and finally, right, why would I not praise God alone? Why do I not praise God alone? Because I don't know enough about his character or I'm not meditating on his character. If I don't know about it, I can't meditate on it. An Old Testament prophet had this right. In Jeremiah 9, 23-24, he says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might, and let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, right? This is a, a good thing, right? To direct your praise and glory that way to Yahweh, right? To God, to the Lord. That, here's what you are to boast in, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Students, do you, do you know the Lord? If you are a believer, right, do you know the Lord? If you're an unbeliever, do you know him in a saving way? Right? Would, would you pass under that spiritual MRI and, and test negative or positive for self-glory? Right? And the wrong answer believes you are okay simply because you slap the bumper sticker of the Lord wills at the end of every sentence. That is not the right answer. Right? And to be honest, right, we will all fail that spiritual MRI question. But what you do when you find out that you fail, right? When, when the Lord uses that to convict your heart and to to scream, man, I, I am totally in James 4, 13 through 17. Almost everything I do is motivated by this. Then you, then you repent of that and you confess that and, and you turn to the one who's still giving you breath in your lungs right now, who is still gracious and merciful to you, even right now. Such a great truth. All right. Well, on the other hand, a, a humble, right? On the same hand, a humble servant loudly boasts in his God and his causing of all things, right? Let's say unexpected test results, right? You say, Lord, I should have studied harder. I, maybe there were some areas where I was, I was negligent, but, but thank you, Lord, for at least this moment. Thank you for not a higher grade. Um, you know, my heart maybe could not handle that much success right now. Maybe friends are not giving you the same attention as before. Lord, Thank you for your all-seeing eye, right? Thank you for caring for me even when I sin against you. <laughs> Maybe parents are not recognizing your efforts. You say, Lord, thank you for your kindness. Help me to honor you in my heart because your praise at the end of the day is the only praise that matters. And maybe friends are gifted in other areas of life, right? A humble heart says, thank you for how you're using them. If I was in that position or maybe had that privilege, my heart might possibly abuse that position for privilege. Thank you, Lord, for your, your wise shepherding of my life and others. These areas of arrogance James describes, they, they slowly reveal itself to just be rank rebellion, right? First, they make groundless presumptions, as we saw. Second, they glory in self-worship. And the third area James warns us against arrogance towards God's will is neglecting current responsibilities. You neglect current responsibilities. 
beginning in verse 17. Therefore, <coughs> we're concluding from what I just said, Christians, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, at first sight, I agree, right? Verse 17 might seem a little out of place, right? Why does he switch to talking to this group of people, you know, these itinerant merchants, and then all of a sudden he goes to this kind of vague and nameless, you know, to one? Um, why does he bring up obedience? Um, and not acting on what you know, is, you know, is that, is that really sin, right? <coughs> However, the therefore, right in the beginning of the verse, signals to me that verse 17 indeed belongs to this context, right? And second, the word knows, right? Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do. That, that helped me also. Because um, where else in the verse do you see, or does he talk about what you know? Verse 14, right? Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> so that helped me know, okay, verse 17 is definitely within this context, right? Therefore links it. The word knows, you know, previously they didn't know something. Okay, now they do know something, right? So if the topic of arrogance, namely arrogance towards God's will, is marked by presumption and evil, then James's inclusion of the sin of omission or, or not doing what you do know to do rightly concludes this warning. Right? And although that, that, that word knows is not the exact Greek word, right, uh, the inference is clear. Right? Your arrogance can be just a facade for you to neglect your current responsibilities. You may not know God's secret will, but you are 100% culpable guilty when you explicitly know your obligations and willfully reject God's revealed will for your life. <coughs> and, and this is what sin is, right? Sin is not failing God's righteous standards. Sin is not simply being human. It's not making mistakes here and there. Sin is not falling into sin, um, biblical sin is, is missing the mark, right? And what do I mean by that? Missing the mark. Let's <clears throat> the game trash ball, or or what? What do we have? What have we changed it now to? Is it still trash ball? Bucket ball. Okay, bucket ball. Uh, right. <clears throat> who who would be the most guaranteed hands down score on on your team if you had somebody on your team in in, in student ministries? Who who would you? Select is like, oh man, if, if we give him the ball, it's going in the hoop every time. Yeah. Mike? Mike? Okay, that's a good. Yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah, I, I was thinking Mike. I was also thinking uh, Daniel. He just, he's so tall. You know, <clears throat> we start especially getting him into the gym and feeding him just tons of calories. <laughs> you guys won't move him, and every time we'll just launch it, and he'll, you guys will be pushing up against a brick wall. Right? But <clears throat> so imagine. <clears throat> Daniel <clears throat> receiving the ball, right? Or, or okay, because you guys thought Mike, so Mike's in your, your head for the all-time best athlete and uh, in, in trash ball, <clears throat> right? You give it to Mike, right? Oh, man, and, 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 and he just has the lane wide open for some reason, you know, uh, like people were tripping, and, and, and all he has to do is just kind of go over the lay it up, right? Sin, right, and, and arrogance, right, would would look like Mike walking up to the basket, right? Even, even the, the, the hoop gets lowered for him. So, so Mike doesn't even have to waste any energy. Just, he can just simply go like this, right? And he just, he just looks at it, and he just, he just turns around, right? And he starts walking over to, to the kids for truth games. He starts playing with them, and you're like, Mike, that, that was the easiest, right? That, the mark was right there, right? The basket was the mark, right? It, it's so clear and obvious what you had to do. You had all the potential. You had all the, the abilities and strength, and, and yet you purposely 
missed that mark, Mike. Why did you do that? Right? Well, <clears throat> sin is not missing the mark simply because you're not good enough at aiming. Sin is missing the mark because you deliberately, sorry, deliberately choose failure. And you say, failure in what? And I say, failure to align to God's righteous standard and his revealed will for your life. So at your age, what is something that God's word has black and white revealed to you, right? It is a black and white, right? You, you know what to do, right? Every age, someone this age just knows. What do you guys think? Yeah. Okay. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Exactly, right? Command. It's, it's black and white. It's clear, right? What else, guys? Or ladies? <laughs> yeah, oh, sorry, I was looking at Charlie for a second. <laughs> yeah. Wait, uh, go ahead. Okay, yeah. What were you going to say? Okay, yeah. So those are some pretty clear, and, 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 and now you know the mark, right? That, and that is God's mark. That is God's righteousness that he has revealed to us in his word, right? But did you know God holds everyone accountable for the sins he commits and the right decision he fails to choose, right? And so follow this, this line of thought, right? It's incredible. What this arrogant believer <clears throat> cannot humanly know, namely the next moment, he confidently yet foolishly makes presumptions. Right? He has no authority to make such claims, and yet self-confidence and entitlement feeds his flesh. And he simply has no self-recognition to alert his mind that life is like driving a gar car with the gas light on. Right? It's only fumes and vapors in the engine. And not only does he not consider what God declares to be objectively true about mankind's fleeting nature, the arrogant man then boasts in his self-made veneer. It's like you say to him, hey, man, you're, you're just a vapor, right? You're, you're lying against the truth. And he says, no, nah, man, I, I've actually created a vape machine that's going to last like 15 minutes. And you're like, huh? That doesn't even make sense, <laughs> right? He then has this accumulated fake knowledge propelling his self-worship in all the meanwhile, right, all the meanwhile, this is where the therefore comes in, daily responsibilities just get pushed to the back burner. So focused on, on, on what's not even here and tangible, it's like God's word is just getting recycled, being, becoming recycled paper that's thrown in the trash in the fire, and, and there's no room to even do the right thing. Well, indeed, right, God's will is truly fascinating. I, I hope, if you are a believer, I hope that, that you continue to just love this, right? It'll be hard, right? There will, again, come failures, and there will be, come out of the nowhere, but, but we must remember, right, it's not out of nowhere. It's, it's God has decreed everything and, and planned everything, and he's not just sovereign over life. There's a purposeful sovereignty. Right? He's not just king, but he's ordering everything. And a humble heart can say, if the Lord wills. Right? Again, not just a, a tag-along statement at the end of a sentence, but, but because you've seen your pride crushed and you see how you cannot predict a, a, a right outcome or even, or, and, and get it 100% time, you start depending and saying, man, the Lord is so good and he always does good. You know how I know that? Because Christ died in the place of a sinner like me who, who just rejected him for so long and then he saved me and so many times I, I continue to, to just make these groundless presumptions, right? Glory and self-worship and neglect current responsibilities. 
and yet grace in my life right, causes me to confess that and repent that and know that, that Christ is my mediator. And I don't have to fear, but I can, I can love what's going to happen the next moment. Right. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> so let's pray. Lord God, we just praise you and, and thank you. Uh, thank you for this time in your word. Um, what a gift it is to open up your word at any moment of the day. Um, what a gift it is to, to hear the word of God, to, to understand um, the negative and the positive consequences. Um, thank you for <coughs> uh, this, this day that you have made. Um, thank you for the new life you brought into the world, into the Augustine family. Um, we ask that you just provide uh, Roy and Leslie with just an extra measure of grace during this time to, to love their family, to care for them. Um, pray for the church body to come around them and, and love on them as well. Help us as we go to main service to not be distracted, um, but to to just hunger and thirst for righteousness, to long for your word. Help us to just have a mindset that we've, it's almost like we've never heard the word of God and we're just so eager to listen and, and obey. Um, thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.